you have to go in with the expectation that you're going to find illegal and or uh, improper storage inside your lockers. We always typically come up with a lot of illegal compressed cylinders. We come up with a lot of other things, which the, which the signage on the building says can't be there, but it, it shows up and it's, and it, it, you know, it's going to be there. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. Enchanted Sky Studios in Prescott, Arizona. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategies, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. Self-storage units present a unique challenge in case of fire. They come with the hazards found in a hoarder house, but worse. Making entry can be tough. Nowadays, a simple padlock is sometimes replaced by an electronic lock. And while many of these storage units are constructed a block, a lot of them, especially in buildings converted to the purpose, may have simple sheetrock walls between the units. And who knows what's stored in them. With me today to talk about the hazards found there is Jim Kirsch, a 35-year veteran of the fire service who recently retired as a captain in the Bergenfield, New Jersey Fire Department. He's a former volunteer chief, a New Jersey State Certified Level 2 fire instructor, drill ground instructor, and fire prevention official. And Jim is an instructor at the Bergen County, New Jersey Fire Academy. And Jim Kirsch joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thanks for having me, Scott. I look forward to having the conversation here this morning. Self-storage has become a big business, but not all the warehouses are created equal. What kinds of structures are typically used? Well, that's the one thing that's that's a little bit unique in self-storage is you, you can't really say there's a typical self-storage building unless you're dealing with one of the bigger, well-known companies that, that just build self-storage buildings. And they'll, they'll sometimes use more of a cookie-cutter approach. But across the industry itself, you will see self-storage in pretty much any type of building that's out there. You can have rows of exterior garages. You can have buildings that have been converted over from warehouses. You can have buildings that have been converted over from apartment houses, buildings that you know had a different had a new a different life or an earlier life that are now been converted over. So anywhere you know multi-storied. I was recently in one in San Francisco. I was a five-story type three or a brick and joist ordinary type of building. So you, you, you can really find them any place, and the people who own these properties will try to fit them in on, into almost any type of floor plan. Now, getting to the unit on fire can be a challenge if it's after hours or if the facility doesn't have an on-site manager. Do all these exterior security gates have Knox boxes? No, they don't. And for the most part, a Knox box security gate is usually done on a municipal ordinance or city ordinance if they're going to install them or not. One of the bigger problems that self-storage, I think, is going to start to have for us is that you're going to see less and less employees 
or lack of management on site to help you get onto the property. Now, lack of employees is also maybe helps us out a little bit when we come to a, a, a search issue. It's a one more life. It's a life hazard we don't have to look for, perhaps. But getting onto the property is becomes a little bit of a problem because you have to not only enter the property itself, which may mean getting through a gate, then it's entering the building itself, and then it's getting into the locker itself. So you have at least three stages of possible forcible entry to get in. Knox boxes help. A lot of the brand new type of construction are actually using more Bluetooth technologies and automated locks. So that's that's a little bit different. That's that's we have to realize it's out there, and we have to be able to get a hold of somebody that will be using may, might be a cell phone, might be an iPad type of device, something like that that uh, will allow us to access into the building through the, the Bluetooth technology. Then there's the lock on the unit itself. They used to all be padlocks, which was not a huge problem, but nowadays there's more electronic door locks. Are those harder to get through, and how do we deal with them? A a lot of them still are out there are are padlocked in some regard. In fact, a lot of the self-storage warehouses, even the automated ones using kiosks, will dispense a, a padlock a lot of times. And sometimes we'll have multiple padlocks because people get locked out. They don't pay their, their rent. And then the, the uh, manager comes in and oh, what they call overlocks, and you'll find a second padlock on the door. So, you know, that's an easily it, – it's a forcible entry issue, but it's nothing outside of the ordinary. With the electronic locks now that are out there, that's going to become a little bit more of an issue for us. Not widespread yet, but it's out there. And while the doors can be, can be forced or we can even get codes – we could have management give us the codes to lockers and get them unlocked that way, which may seem easier. Some of these newer uh, locker styles and designs, the doors will actually automatically open up. They'll roll up, which will make it easy, actually designed to make it easy for the person who rents it. They come down the hallway, they put their code in, they use their cell phone, and the door will unlock and open for them. Well, okay, that's good when they're storing things. Might not be a good thing if there's a lot of burning stock and the door suddenly now comes open and then that burning stock falls out into the hallway. So we have to look at that in the future as being a possible problem for us. And if you want to work with the codes, then you have to work out something with the management in advance, of course. Right. And and some of these codes, uh, I mean, they you can get access codes with, with these electronic systems that are out there. Um, so, but yes, pre-planning is huge. Going out, speaking to the management is, is huge in order to get that and having the ability to even, them, even have them because, again, management may be stepping away with the amount of employees that are there who may not have anybody. They can do it from a remote access a lot of times if they have that set up. No one says they have to be on the scene. Management has to be on the scene to allow fire department entry. Um, that's not may not always be necessary, but they have to be able to give you a code to let you in so you can get onto the get onto the property. Now individual code uh, individual lockers could have separate access codes that the renter puts in, but there needs to be some type of override code from on behalf of management. Other after that it may just become simply uh, you know the old simple uh, force them in forcing or cutting a door. We still have have don't have a real big track record yet on electronic door locks and fires with self-storage use of electronic door locks. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out when we start getting those calls. Now, once you get to that point, a storage unit is just asking to be filled up with unpleasant stuff. What kind of things are usually stored in these units that could be a problem? 
Well, we have we. That's the big issue, right? For for us in the fire service, we never know what's going to be found inside these buildings, and it doesn't take a, a, a you know a lot of research to go in and see what's going on, finding out from news stories as to what's been stored in a lot of these buildings, and we always typically come up with a lot of illegal compressed cylinders. We come up with a lot of other things, which the, which the signage on the building says can't be there, but it, it shows up and it's. And it, it, you know, it's going to be there. You just have to expect people are emptying their garages out and putting everything into self-storage. They're emptying out their basements and putting it into self-storage. So you're going to get a lot of improper storage in regards to compressed cylinders and flammable liquids. And if they're using it to service their cars, you'll get all the ancillary fluids and liquids that come with the cars uh, that we don't want to see, but we may have to you know, find there. Now, if you go back to... I want to say it was November of 2002 in Texas. They had a fire in a self-storage building, and one of the firefighters was actually cutting the door to make entry into the locker, and his uh, rotary saw cut into the shoulder of a propane tank. Uh, mm. caused a small explosion, thankfully no injuries. Um, but that's the possibility we run into is we find these things only when we get there afterwards. There's a possibility of hazmat, aerosol cans, Possibly even small containers of gasoline for a lawnmower or something like that. Right. I mean, that's that's exactly true. I mean, over the years, on in some of the things that I've looked up and the research I've done, I've read articles where they have found pipe bombs in these places. They have found meth labs. There was one out of New Orleans back in the 80s where there was a lot of dioxin, an old Agent Orange, some Military was trying to get rid of Agent Orange. I had a private contractor come in and take it. Private contractor put it into a self storage warehouse. <laughs> just, you know, you know, it's it's bad. You know, uh, I, I believe it was London many years ago. Back in the nineties, had a problem with a large amount of ammonium nitrate that was found. Illegal drugs is always is always going to be possible. Uh, bodies, human remains, it comes up occasionally. So there's there's a lot of that out there. Even if we go back to the nineteen ninety three World Trade Center bombing. Probably a lot of people don't know this, but the 93 bomb was actually uh, made, mixed, and put together in a self-storage warehouse in New Jersey before it was transported over the Hudson River to the World Trade Center site. So you have to go in with the expectation that you're going to find uh, illegal and or improper storage inside these lockers. Here in Arizona, we seem to have a lot of the ones that are like garage roll-up doors that open to the outside. But back east, I know you guys have been in them. You guys deal with a lot of the ones that have interior doors. And the hallways are like a maze, and there aren't many landmarks to be able to tell where you are. How much of a problem is that for a crew that makes entry to go look for the fire? That is a that's a big problem because you're going to have row after row of identical looking hallways and lockers. And you're going to get inside. You're going to have a smoke condition that's going to add into that problem. You're going to have the possibility of a fire alarm being activated. You're going to have a possibility of if we're forcing lockers, burglar alarms activating. And that's going to all add into the fact that it's going to that this area is going to become even more confusing but the the issue of row after row or aisle after aisle of of lockers that look exactly the same cause a problem not only for us they're going to cause a problem for anybody who may be in the building and is trying to to uh, find an exit out in a smoke condition and over the years 
there have been plenty of interior uh, warehouses now that are labeling their hallways. Uh, I think one one of the earliest ones I ever saw was in California, where in California they put street signs up um, so that the people who rent could actually more or less get a street address as to where their locker was, and they would just go through and find their street, and that's how they would you know, find out where they had, had to go. So for us, we have to really go in and pre-plan, and we have to look and see how many rows or how many hallways you know, do we have here and if we you know, count it out how many to the to an exterior wall where the exits are going to be so we can you know plan for this maze like condition and that we actually get out there pre-plan it and, and help us out so when we're working in the noise we're working in the smoke we're working in the high heat we're going to be able to you know try to get back out to our exits now hose line following hose lines always a good idea Tying off ropes, always a good idea, all those types of things. But we still have to have a better understanding of how the building lays out before we try to op- actually operate inside of it. Those aren't the only kinds of self-storage that are problematic. There are these portable pods which are dropped off at a location and used for who knows what. What kind of a problem do they present? They're not huge, but they're, but they're an issue. They are an issue. The problem with the portable pods, as I see it, are, are, are several. First of all, the pods, for the most part, are loaded off-site, right? Somebody orders a pod, it comes, it gets delivered, gets put in your driveway. You load it up as you want to, and you secure it, and then it gets picked up and it gets taken back to a warehouse. So no one's ever going to know what is in that pod, right, anybody from the, from the warehouse. So they may tell you that these are all things you can't store in it, but quite likely, no one's going to be able to open it up and take a look and see what you did store in it. So that's the one problem we have. The other problem is, is that they're not going to be sprinkled in any way. You can't put a sprinkler pipe through a pod that, that's, that's movable. So there's, there's going to be an expectation that if a fire starts inside a pod for some reason, maybe during the trip back, things mixed, uh, you know, got a bumpy ride, truck may have gotten into an accident, stuff got mixed in the back pod. And may take a little while for for a, some type of spontaneous ignition or something to happen. Now we get a fire in a pod that's already in the warehouse. Okay, well, is the overall warehouse sprinkler? Is the overall warehouse sprinklered to the point of being able to control a fire in these pods? Because some of these warehouses will just hold hundreds and hundreds of pods. And again, the individual pods can never be sprinklered, and the building itself. You know, no one knows if that sprinkler system is going to hold what is now going to be burning in all these hundreds of adjacent pods that are out there. So that is a that is a real concern. The newest twist on that, what they have, what they call these valet companies. Valet companies will basically come and you can he'll, he'll bring a van to your apartment or to your house, and you do not necessarily have to rent one of the pods. They now rent multiple types of smaller plastic boxes. If you have smaller items uh, that you want to put into them and you can load up you know, a couple of dozen of these, they'll come, they'll pick them up, they'll take them back to the warehouse and they put on racks. And now you have a rack storage problem. And again, these could be thousands of plastic totes that are put into these warehouses. And it may be strictly that. It may be that and a mixed locker arrangement depending on, depending on which warehouse you might be in. But you know, it still comes down to was the sprinkler system is – the, that was designed for an older type storage going to be able to now handle the fire load created by all these plastic totes and what's been put into them. So with all this in mind, what are the key elements we need to consider to pre-plan for a storage facility fire? 
Well, the pre-plant concerns again. We'll, we'll, storage is always always a big problem, right? We never know are going to know what the storage is, so we have to we have to understand that going into it. We have to look at our construction hazards. A lot of these places are built with trusses, right? They want you know, the wide open area to put the lockers in, so you're going to find that the trusses are put in. We're going to have our forcible entry problems to the to the yard, to the building, and to the individual lockers. We're going to have an access issue for our apparatus. Emergency vehicle access getting onto a property may may be limited to you know one drive aisle going in into the building into the uh, property that's surrounded by fencing that is surrounded by walls. You know the hose lines are five inch supply lines are coming in down into the aisle spaces. So we're always going to have that emergency vehicle access that has to be thought about. So if we can think about that early and where we're going to park our apparatus, we put that in, into the pre-plan. We talked about the maze-like conditions that are that's that are going to occur on the interior. Very, very large problem there. There is a big problem with lack of ventilation that has to be noted. If you look at a lot of these buildings, if they're brand new buildings built for self-storage, you may see some windows towards the front. They'd like to make them look light and, and like they're lit well and that you have these, you know, window areas. So when you pull up to the front driveway by the front door, you'll see some windows. But a lot of times those windows are not opening into into hallways uh, that are accessed by the public. They're only areas that can be accessed by the management or the employees to hang banners and things like that. As you get away from the front of the building, as you get to the sides and the rear of the buildings, you're going to find that your opportunities for ventilation drop off considerably and may, in fact, have no ventilation areas for ventilation. You know, your, your windows will drop away. Your other areas that would typically be used for ventilation just will not be there. Even on a building that's been redone and may ha now have self-storage in it, you'll find a lot of times the windows have been covered over by the interior of lockers. So your lack of ventilation is huge and has to be thought about on a pre-plan. The unknown life hazard of who's there, obviously, again, employees if they're there. And if you have any open lockers, everybody has to be accounted for. How many open lockers might we be able to see on our monitoring system in the office? You have to account for anybody who may have opened the locker and now left. Anybody else might be there, how many cars are in the parking lot, things like that. So you have to start to think about how we're going to account for the life hazard. Any fire protection systems, if they're there, you want to know it. Smoke detectors, sprinkler systems, whatever it happens to be. Fire department connections, things like that. You need to have that on your pre-plan. Your location of your utilities. Are they somewhere in the building? Is it a converted building? Are they in a basement? Are they uh, you know, in a locker? Where's your HVAC system, those in lockers, was everything like that on the roof. But all your all your controls, your elevated controls, your power controls, all those things have to be noted on your pre-plan. A lot of these places have on-sites, uh, auto camper storage, boat storage, motor vehicle storage. You want to know that if it's there, who's converting any of these places, any of these lockers into storage, into uh, service areas for their vehicles. So that's a concern that should be looked at. And your exposure problems. What's going on with your exposures? If it's a place that's just sprung up in the middle of uh, farmland and you're not able to drive down either side of it because you get your apparatus stuck, again, you may be limited to just entering one way or two ways onto the property. Has to, that has to be noted. Also has to be noted that you could have a self-storage building in the middle of a downtown street with exposures on both sides that are connected. You have to have that uh, put on your pre-plan as well. And is the, the building itself, I, I had one of my first two area 
that the vast majority of it was a self-storage warehouse, but it also the same exact building shared space with a daycare center and a and a building supply warehouse. So oh, wow. huge, huge exposure problems both end of the you know of the spectrum with with kids on one side and you got you know building supplies up or operating on the other side. So you have to get all those exposure problems taken care of as well. And then finally, go out and you know speak to your fire your fire marshal, your fire prevention people. Even sometimes it might be okay. Go see, you know speak to uh, your local police department if you have uh, you know a good uh, rapport with them, and just ask the questions to both of those. If you know of any you know criminal or illicit activities that may have gone on in there, Maybe speak to the management, ask a question if they if if they may think something might be going on because you know these are different times, so we have to kind of look at those things that we may have the real possibility of of improper, illegal, or, you know, any, even up to a point of you know, terrorism problems that we may have to think about. So ask some questions, and if anything comes out of that, it's good that you know it ahead of time. There may be nothing to it, but, but it's good to, you know, be looking for something like that as you, as you walk these buildings and do your pre-plans. All right, great advice, Jim Kirsch. Thanks for being on Code 3 today. You're very welcome. And we put some more information about pre-planning for a self-storage facility fire on our website at Code3Podcast.com slash storage. Check it out. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. This time we talked about the factors to consider when it comes to fighting a fire in a self-storage facility. I'd like to hear about your experience with these kind of structures. What did you find to be the worst part, and what solutions, if any, did you come up with? Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com, or leave a voicemail at 562-337-9902. I'll read or play your comments on a future show. Thank you for listening today. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.